Come on. We're live, Doug. How you doing? Yeah. Matt, right. I am the best ever. Oh my God, you have you your lovely wife Sarah there. Amazing. Right, right, right. Uh, well, Sarah, is, first of all, Sarah, as you know, is the ultimate manifester. For she is the inspiration, the genesis of this made-up word because nobody manifests like Sarah does. So, but she's here for a special reason because you have uh, you basically corrupted the logic of the Higgins household. I'm now being forced to eat homegrown sprouts apparently because Sarah is obsessed with making. Her yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> And they're that, delicious. I don't like what kind of sprouts do you have there, Sarah? These are just alfalfa sprouts. So this is the first taste test, Doug, of the sprouts. And we're going to get to the sprouting revolution that you have sprouted. And we're going to do all sorts of metaphors around it. really good. But uh, uh, I don't know, Doug. They don't taste like a Big Mac or anything. I mean, my diet isn't exactly perfect, as you know. But Sarah <laughs> eats like a little rabbit. It's so, hard not to well, like them. So she grew I, them. I, I mean, if you think about those, Matt, those grew in volume 20 times. So it's a little seed and with Sarah's love and some water without soil, without sunshine, <laughs> those grew to food, right? And if you think about, everyone asks me like, where do I get my protein from? Where does a horse get its protein from? From alfalfa. Alpha. And what Sarah is feeding you is the precursor to alfalfa hay. So you're going to be strong like as a horse. Yeah. No, I it, I have to say, I was impressed. This is the perfect apocalypse food. I we, I was looking at the sticks. What is growing on our sink? And then she's like, I'm sprouting. And they take three days. Three, three days. days. Three days. Is that three days. How much protein is in this jar, though? This is enough to feed, to get a mouth yeah. excited. This is very little. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is what the That's seeds good. start as, right? Mm -hmm. And then in three days, they're like this. Right. right? So, so look at it goes from that to that in three days. What I have here is broccoli sprouts. What do you know about broccoli sprouts, Matt, Sarah? Well, hold on a second. Let's let's go back now. Or I just wanted to show you what you've inspired. I want to go back in time. We have to give a little context for all the people out there on LinkedIn, Doug, who are following along. So okay. Well, well, Matt, I just think that we just got to just jump right in. All right, let's do it. First of all, let me let me introduce you appropriately. So, ladies and gentlemen, okay. Right, Thank bye, you. Bye, so, bye. Come bye, on, Sarah. Sarah, I just so want right to here know, on the third floor. Sarah, Matt is the second luckiest man alive to have you. Okay. <laughs> I agree with like, that. It's just unbelievable. Cause I'm the luckiest man alive, but Matt is the second luckiest man alive. I don't disagree with you, but this is my force multiplier, my swing army knife, my, 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 my Jedi. But um, so Doug, let me do a proper introduction, Doug. First of all, you're okay. You have a huge heart. Doug has one of the biggest hearts in the, in the world. I met Doug and spent time with him teaching a course at, at Harvard with Professor Len Schlesinger called Moving Beyond DTC. Shout out to Len if you're out there. And um, Doug has had a really fascinating career uh, and uh, was the inventor and brought to market a product that I was really passionate about. It was really sad to sort of see go called Juicero. And one of the uh, topics that he talked to about at Harvard about was just the lessons you learn from going through, you know, the trauma of of having a you know a massive startup that raised a ton of money and then things don't work out. And uh, I want to spend a little bit of time today on those lessons, and then I want to talk about second chapters because Doug has had multiple lives and is out now at the forefront of a little sprouting revolution that is now apparently taking place in the Higgins house against my better judgment because. You know, I tend to eat poorly, try to eat well. Um, so I want to talk about sprouting. So, but but first, Doug, welcome. 
Thanks for you are the ultimate manifester over and over again. Yeah, uh, I mean, look, I, I want you to know, Matt, I saw your pretty face on an airplane showing the shark tank. No. And I said to myself, I said, that guy's not a jerk. He's like <laughs> a good guy. I said, if I was going to meet a shark, right, I'd really want to meet Matt Higgins. Oh, and no thanks. shit, no shit, I get a text from you saying, hey, we have a mutual friend. I'd love to, I'm doing X, Y, and Z in teaching this. You know, can we get on the phone? And I'm like, what? <laughs> this guy is call, wants to talk to me? I, I did mean, not. That's the way the universe works. That's amazing. That's a, that's awesome. Well, so Doug, let's start with that. I mean, Juicera was was an incredible product. I still believe it's one of those things that actually still can exist today, should exist today, but we don't have to go into that. Um, and I remember some of the knockdowns of Juicera was, well, you don't need a device. You could just squeeze the juice. And during the apocalypse, I've stopped using my my automatic little coffee cups thinking, well, I could just do the pour over. There are tons of things that we make very efficient, right? So that, that never made any sense. But like, Looking back now that you're launching and you're going in this direction, what, what are some of the lessons you have for people who are looking to reinvent themselves and are kind of maybe going through, you know, a similar trauma of a business not working out? Like, I'm just, I just want to hear you philosophize. I know you have so many pearls of wisdom in there. I, I mean, one of, especially now, and who knows what the economic situation is moving forward, is that when you have a startup, right, there's two kinds of startups. One is like we had, um, Organic Avenue, New York. And we ran that business out of the cash register, right? Literally, we had no choice. We ran it out of the cash register. And in Silicon Valley, they want to grow very large businesses very fast. And that when, you know, companies today, I think like Uber are still losing $11 million a day, right? That's Just, incredible. it's, it's incredible. So, what happens is when you're driving at 200 miles an hour, the, the smallest like turn or error can like throw you off the cliff. So I think one of the things is that you really need to think about what that whole plan looks like and do scenario planning for worst case scenario and see, okay, what are you going to do if this happens or if this happens or if this happens? And in that part, think about like, what, what could you do in these situations? So for me, like one of the things that I, I hate to think of myself as naive or gullible, but I really didn't know what the climate was in Silicon Valley when you are the founder and CEO. And then when you're not the when you're the founder and not the CEO. And you, unless you've really understood um, supermajority rights and voting control, et cetera, when you step down as CEO, you can be terminated at any moment with or without cause. And, uh, and I encourage all founders to wake up and, and think about that because um, at the time you're signing all these papers um, that you're giving up all control because you want money and you're a professional investor. And when people are exchanging millions of dollars in order for shares of a company that is well ahead of itself in valuation relative to revenue in part, um, most founders do not know what they're signing. 
And mm-hmm. so that's an important part. Know the paperwork, know the documents. Well, do you think, so going back in time, actually, before you launched Desera, you had Organic Avenue, brick and mortar uh, stores, juice business, like kind of very manageable, not in, not crazy valuations. I mean, isn't there some point in that too? Like, do you think we'll return to a place of reason, right? Where like maybe a business doesn't need to be a $200 million outcome and we don't have, have never ending higher valuations that become your own prison. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about raising the capital and, and I know like I'm saying this knowing that I'm going to get um, eviscerated further for saying this. No, I appreciate you any controversy on this program. That would be actually helpful. So say whatever okay. you want. Juicero did not raise enough capital to do what we wanted to do. And if you want to innovate, creativity costs money. You make mistakes. When you're dealing with hardware, um, it is hard to create hardware and integrate the plastics with the metals, with the motors, and make everything work and safe. So we had a product roadmap and we shipped our version one machine and we shipped our version 1.5 machine. And we never got to ship version two. So the original machines were very expensive because the minimum order quantities just to make hardware, to make the tools were very expensive. And had we been able to order, say, 100,000 units versus the initial order of 3,000 units, then you can start to get major uh, reductions in price. But Mm -hmm. who wants to fund 100,000 units before you've sold your first unit? So there's in a startup, there's so many catch-22 situations. Like, do you swing for the fences? Or do you do you wait to get walked, right? Or do you bunt? And when you're raising capital, you're you're supposed to be swinging for the fences. And one of the lessons we had a hundred eleven thousand square foot production facility, which would be great today for ghost kitchens. It would allow you to to serve millions of customers. Our challenge was we we need to make those produce packs. How would you fill the produce packs at scale and bring the cost down unless you have automation and unless you have room to scale? So you have to, and the most difficult thing in a business is moving. So imagine moving a fresh plant. So we ended up having a big plant and then you have a lot of people in the plant and you don't know what volume is. So it, doing forecasting for a startup is very difficult. So, but all those variables you're saying set in motion the need to have more capital, or are you saying those variables are the problem themselves that you you had a hundred and ten thousand square foot you know plant? Or are you just saying failure of vision, saying you got to have to raise a ton of money to make it really work? Well, I think you need to have enough. Uh, like in a startup, I would think that you need to have enough capital for years of of burn until you can get to cash flow positive. And, and although we had enough cash, um, and, and you can explain this more in, in other venture backed, is that people raise enough capital to get to a next milestone and then they go, oh, well then we'll raise more money at this next round. And 
if you have, you know, bad press, whether it's right or wrong or any hiccup in the business or, you know, a COVID thing going on, um, how many broken rounds can happen? And then all of a sudden you can't execute on the plan. So you need to be able to have enough resources to get to your destination. And I always say, I was never interested in a bridge round, right? Um, it, unless the bridge really got you to the other side. Otherwise it's a peer. Yeah, right? I, my, my two, my, my least two favorite words in investing are bridge round. Because usually something's wrong. I mean, I don't, I don't like the whole idea is generally tends to be nonsense. But just going back, don't you think two sort of forces are at work that pressure that one is the investor who's looking for outsized returns and wants to see venture type returns. And so and then the only way to justify that is some multiple of top lines. So now the entrepreneur needs to project that growth and take steps to make it credible. And everyone is in this kind of, you know, arms wraith of mutually assured destruction, then a black swan event happens internally, or externally, and then there's a reset. Because I think now there'll be a reset, at least. I mean, it's one of the benefits is a return to reason where, you know, steady, slow, steady growth and real growth and not just, you know, uh, customer acquisition gimmicks, you know, fuel the growth. I'm not talking about you because I think I, I actually I, I love your product. And I understand your point about you weren't able to get to 2.0. Like I'm an investor in June Oven. June Oven has a wonderful product, right? Recognizes your food, cooks it in two seconds. I love this thing, right? I think the first product was like a $1,200 June Oven. I don't remember the price, maybe more. And now it's $499. You right. know, so I understand that you were kind of you were you were you were you were on the way to heading to that point. But 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 before you launched that organic avenue was a straight up, you know, four wall profit business, right? Like you had experience on that level. Yeah, I mean, look, organic avenue started Denise Mari and I started it out of my loft on the lower east side on the second floor. We didn't even have a retail store. So we were like in the second floor loft building and we started in people were coming, ring the doorbell and disturbing the neighbor, sometimes ring the, the wrong doorbell. And then when we opened up the first retail store, we were doing really well and we were uh, break even. But when we opened up the second store, that's when, you know, we started to burn capital. And cause now we needed, um, a dish, we needed delivery people. We needed a manager to manage both stores. We were, um, had more inventory. And so it was, it was challenging when we got up to four stores at organic Avenue, I had to take a second job, um, where I was carrying a bag for a Silicon Valley startup called Adbright, you know, that was funded by, um, Sequoia and I was their lead, um, revenue generator while I was running Organic Avenue, New York. So four stores, carrying a bag, just hustling because we, we needed capital. So mm -hmm. there's always the, the grind. But right. when, you know, if you, if you look at, if Starbucks wants to expand their evolution juice business and they build a $100 million plant, no one's even going to pick up their press release. It's irrelevant. No one cares. But if you're like a startup and you say you want to do innovation in this, um, all of a sudden people look at $100 million as a lot of money, which it's a lot of money, but relative to what you wanted to execute, um, it's hard. Look at Webvan 20 years ago. Oh, Urban Fetch, remember? Webvan. Right? Urban, Urban Fetch yeah, Cosmo Urban Fetch Webvan. Mm -hmm. 
Do you know I do you know a little chapter of my life that most people don't know is that I worked at Cosmo.com. I was director of corporate communications in 1998, one of the best jobs I ever had with Joe Park. For those who don't know, youngins out there, Cosmo was an amazing company that delivered everything to your door in an hour. You could order anything online. This is pre-mobile smartphones and this is pre you know, a whole group of uh, this pre-gig economy, right? Uh, we had yeah. warehouses, Amazon-like, where you could order movies, ice cream, single item, minimum order eventually was like $5. And it came to your door, it was in an hour, it was like magic. And ultimately, I think 10,000 employees in 10 cities, something, some crazy numbers, uh, but it went under in the uh, dot-com boom. Well, and I think about you, Sarah, sometimes when I think about Cosmo, right? A good idea that could have, should have worked, there was intervening events that made it not work out, that will probably come around again, which Cosmo has. Will Juicero come around again? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. What does Juicero 2.0 look like that improves upon what you were doing? I mean, till this day, all juice that you buy in a bottle um, is pasteurized, either using heat, thermal or non-thermal um, processing techniques, which means it goes through a 5 million to 1 reduction in pathogens. So it becomes shelf-stable you know, minimum of six weeks shelf life, sometimes years. So for the people who understand that they want fresh juice, right? It goes back to the problem that we identified at Juicero. You got to buy produce, wash produce, chop the produce, juice the produce, clean the juicer. So unless you don't value your time and you live near a farm, you're going to have to go through the same process and it will cost more than what Juicero was. Mm -hmm. So for, for the people who care about quality. And so that's why, you know, Juicero was in Whole Foods. It was in Jean George restaurants. It was in Le Pen Cotidien because making juice was a very difficult proposition. So I think the next manifestation when it comes back will be probably in more B2B. And so they'll have you know, larger versions of the machine where a single operator can make multiple juices. When I sat with Howard Schultz um, at Starbucks and we talked about health and juice, he looked me in the eye and he said, the number one thing that our customers want are healthier options. And then he went out and bought, you know, a bottled juice company with a slightly better version of Adwala. But I think that as people start to really think about health, they're going to want juice. And it's easy to complain about juice, but the fact is cold-pressed organic juice um, is a full serving of fruits and vegetables. And U.S. dietary guidelines, and this, we're going to, this is a good segue into um, sprouting. Yeah. Right? So the U.S. dietary guidelines recommend seven to 13 servings of fruits and vegetables every day. The mm. average American is consuming less than one. So when I conceived Juicero, I was personally drinking two or three green juices a day, right? So they had less than four grams of sugar um, and no added sugar. I'm talking about naturally occurring sugar that would come from the vegetables because we had an unsweetened green juice that didn't even have apple in it or anything. The only fruit was cucumber and lemon. And people don't even think of cucumber as a fruit. 
they think of it as a vegetable, but it's a low glycemic fruit. So I wanted it to be easier for people to have a healthy beverage option. So today, the only healthy beverage option is water because I don't drink milk. I don't drink soda. I don't drink coffee. I don't drink tea. I don't drink energy drinks. I don't drink alcohol. So green juice was actually a way, I mean, this almost sounds poetic, where you would take rainwater that would be filtered through the soil, through the roots, through the stems, through the leaves of the plants. And then you'd take those plants, dice them, slice them, chop them, shred them, put them in cheesecloth, and then press them and squeeze them to extract the, the, the water molecules along with the micronutrients, phytonutrients, and antioxidants that were in this. So it was really a nutritious way of boosting your immune system for um, a relatively low cost in a very convenient fashion. And that's why, like, I invented Juicero because I wanted to, to be, I knew this was the, the thesis of Juicero, that the average person who had a home juicer was using it once or twice a month. The people who had a Nespresso machine were using it once or twice a day. And so when I look at Juicero, our average, then these, this is statistically accurate data. The average Juicero customer was using it 9.2 times a week, once or twice a day. And even though like the people at Bloomberg who, um, who wrote articles about squeezing it and they knew nothing about the product, they were totally misinformed and they were, you know, geared towards clicking. They wanted to let me ask you, before we uh, transition to sprouts. I do want to ask you because we're in we're going to we're in this period of a lot of acrimony, and whenever you have these periods in society, I saw it happen eventually post nine eleven. A lot of recrimination, just a lot of angst, a lot of kind of gotcha stories, some negative PR. You know what? What did you learn from that? You know that was you're you're a stunning example of how bad PR could truly just about tank a company. What would you What would you advise uh, somebody who's on the other end of controversy around their product or otherwise that you didn't do back then? I mean, I think I was, I wasn't CEO when that happened. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't in a, in a position to really communicate with the press, but for one, I think that you must take the time and communicate back point by point and be out there with the megaphone that you have. And in the old days, you know, if, if if the New York Times writes a bad article about you, um, you know, you you can write an opt-ed and nothing. But today, be, with social, with other platforms, with medium, you can actually get your voice back out there and communicate back. But right, I, think I, always, I always say that to people too. You are wasting such an opportunity if you don't have a one-to-one -one relationship with your customer. That if the only way you could tell your story is to lobby somebody else to be the filter of your story. It makes, it's your fault because you can communicate through LinkedIn, through Instagram, through every kind of tool you can, through Twitter, you can, you have to have a relation. That means you have to step out from, you know, in front of the camera, right? Because you gotta be willing to communicate. But when you find yourself on the other end of a crisis and you need to talk, by that point it's too late because you're relying on somebody else to tell your story, right? Yeah. In fact, you don't really have much of it. Well, you sort of was emerging, right? Uh, well, look, I, I think the thing is that when when the the articles come out, if you don't communicate back, 
And what happened is you have one misinformed kind of negative article, and then you have other media outlets that are picking this up. And if you're not providing counterpoints to it, it just becomes a telephone game of one bad thing to the next, to the next. And in the old days, if there was a bad article in the New York Times, the next day, the New York Times will write about somebody else and they'll move on. And I think the company did not respond thinking that it would move on, but never had experienced the, the pylon that, that can occur where one article, and it just never stopped. I mean, yeah. it just, it even continues till this day, three years later, it's still. Right, well, this, um, is a warm, this is a warm place, Doug. So it's not going to continue on here. Oh, no, no, it's, not you. No, no, I'm I talking don't. about like BuzzFeed defined Juicero oh, as one of the failures that defined the last decade. I mean. Well, well here's what's exciting. What you're about to do is good. BuzzFeed will define as one of the great successes of the next decade. So let's shake it off, Doug. Let's shake off what we were just talking about. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Put Juicero back. We're, we're second chapter. Talk to us about sprouting. Like for those who don't understand sprouting, let's just do sprouting 101 a little bit. Why you're so evangelical. Why you're out in the desert sprouting and becoming an expert on it. Just But first, sprouting 101. Okay. So all plant life, uh, all life, all plant life on the planet begins with a seed. And when the seed germinates, it's sprouting. And a, a seed is a complete plant living organism, but it's in a dormant state. And when you activate it, it grows. And most seeds grow into mature plants and they take time. It can take weeks or months or years till you have edible food, whether it's broccoli or it's an apple tree or it's any vegetation. The insight that I had with sprouting came after Juicero and after Burning Man. I, I fell in love with the desert, right? And so I moved to the desert. I moved to the Mojave Desert. And I had a vision that there were hot springs here and I liked hot springs and I just wanted to like get away and give myself some time and mourn the loss, you know, of, of Juicero. And so I moved here and what I didn't realize was not only was I in the Mojave desert, I was in a food desert and we had no access to a Whole Foods or an Air One or a Westerly. We had no high quality health food stores within an hour and 15 minutes away. And so being someone who was very aware and who loved you know, eating healthy and being healthy, I made two trips in one week to Whole Foods and I spent three hours in the car. I ended up buying stuff I didn't really want or need and experience traffic. And I was like, this is not the life I want. So then I remembered, you know, 25 years ago, the first time I had sprouts and it was easy. I, it's I, you can call Sarah back. She had the Mason jar. So we had a Mason jar. We added some seeds to the jar, added some water, turned it upside down, let the, let the water, um, strain out. And then in a few days, 
you know, you get, you get rock, you get, you get edible food. And I didn't know much, you know, really, I didn't know much about sprouting. I just knew that you could do it. So within the next week, I started to order more sprouting seeds and I bought more jars and more trays. And within one week, 50% of my calories and the food I was consuming was coming from sprouts that I was growing on my kitchen countertop without soil, without sunshine for pennies a serving. Hmm. And that was the, the biggest like wake up um, call that I've had. It felt like an, an epiphany for me. And then I started to do real work around sprouting. But does that help set the stage? Yeah. So is the vision you see, was that sort of epiphany that here's a way for people to feed themselves around the world that anybody can do that is low cost and high nutrient nutrient profile. And like, we're just not taking advantage of it. Let me understand the, uh, the, epiphany. the, the yeah, the epiphany was that we have 40 million people in America living in poverty. Mm-hmm. We have food deserts across the entire nation where people don't have access to food. We have um, chronic illnesses, right? Obesity, diabetes, cancer, heart disease that are all, and this isn't me, I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist, I know how to read. These are all attributed to diet and lifestyle. So diabetes costs this country, you know, billions of dollars a year. And adult type two onset diabetes is totally preventable. And instead, we put people on diabetic medication. Obesity um, it clearly is not a, a genetic trait. Um, obesity comes from not having proper diet and exercise. And so when I saw that even the most conservative U.S. dietary guidelines recommended seven to 13 servings of fruits and vegetables, but places that in the food deserts, they've got 7-Elevens, they've got bodegas, and um, they don't even have supermarkets. So how are they going to have um, food and fast food is high calorie, high macronutrient, lots of animal protein and low vegetables. Maybe you can get iceberg lettuce and a slice of a GMO tomato. So the connection was for me, I can get off the food grid, right? I can have my own vegetables, but this could be something that globally um, could feed the world. Like the, and, and I didn't even realize, we didn't even talk about climate change, but um, sprouting requires the least amount of water on a per ounce um, yield of vegetables. So if you think about one pound of ground beef requires 7,000 gallons of water, 7,000 gallons to have one pound of beef. And it takes 18 pounds of grain to feed that cow over the two years before they slaughter it. And that's a terrible word, slaughter, but I I don't know a better word. But, But so think about that, that 18 pounds of, of grain 
if you were thinking about 18 pounds of seeds, the 18 pounds of seeds would multiply into um, 180 pounds of sprouts. But then the person watching at home who's uninitiated watching this will yeah. say, right, well, where am I going to get my protein? So can you go through the, the equivalent nutrition profile of an, I don't know, is it an ounce of sprout or a pound of sprout? Like you, you choose yeah. the volume. I, I mean, look, I, I'm 53 years old. I'm going on, you know, I don't know, 23, you know, biological age. I've never, ever. You know is there a test that I can determine that? Because I feel the opposite. I'm moving in the different other direction. Well, not, not if Sarah starts feeding you sprouts, yes. but, but re realistically, if you were to look at um, protein and the point I'm making is if you're eating enough calories from plants, from sprouts, you will be getting protein. Protein is, is a label where you're getting an accumulation of amino acids and many sprouts actually are complete um, um, protein formulations. But if you take lentils, and lentils are known in the plant-based world for having protein, one cup of sprouted lentils, right, which is, starts off with far less because the lentils grow once you sprout them. But on the third day, one cup of sprouted lentils has over seven grams of protein in them. So, like an um, egg, that's equivalent of an egg, right? Egg will have about right. one egg. Peas, peas sprouted mm -hmm. um, peas have protein. Sprouted hemp has protein. Sunflower sprouts have protein. And let's just talk about the, the difference in the quality of protein. Like what we started to before is like, where does a horse, where does it, where does a cow get its protein from? It gets it from eating grass, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if it's blessed enough. So where does it, it doesn't eat other cows unless it wants mad cow disease, okay. right? So, so basically a cow is a very inefficient me mechanism for, for creating micronutrients and macronutrients because you have to water it, you have to feed it, you have to nurture it. They fill it with antibiotics and all the things over the life cycle when in fact you can go right to the source, bypass the cow and, and eat the greens. Okay. So let me bring it back down. So I have your why. Now I understand your why. And why people should care about sprouts, right? And what motivates yeah. you? 40 million people, so forth. So how are you going to bring sprout to the masses? First, let's talk about the book, and then let's talk about making it easier for people to sprout at home. Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing that I did and for the book, and I never went to college, so writing for me was a challenge. And it was one of the things that I feared most beyond public speaking, right? So I didn't do enough public speaking during my Ducero days, and I certainly didn't do enough writing. But I felt that this information was coming to me like in leaps and bounds because of access to the National Institute of Health and um, Science Direct and all these things were, were coming down. So I said, I'm going to have to write this book. So as uncomfortable as I was, I got on a plane, I went and I pitched one of the largest publishers in the world. I only got one meeting. And I show up at that meeting with five different recipes that we made out of sprouts. So I hired 
um, Lita Shintab, who did Oprah Winfrey's cookbook, and she did Layla Ali, Muhammad Ali's daughter cookbook. And she helped me come up with recipes of what to do with sprouts. And I brought sprouts to the meeting and the publisher at St. Martin's Press, literally her mind was blown. She was like, really? This is this? This is this? We should do the book. And, you know, here we go. Hey, you know, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. That's right? amazing. And look how pretty that is. It's and so pretty. What a great story, too. You're out in the desert, you know, licking your wounds and kind of reflecting. And then you have this epiphany inspired by Burning Man and what other substances happen at birth. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're bringing it to the world. That's amazing. And you had to overcome. I didn't know your writing part. I mean, you're such a... First of all, you're a deep thinker and you're such a great communicator. I can't imagine it didn't translate to writing. You're probably selling yourself short. But uh, Well, I mean, it's one thing to be able to talk for five minutes about a topic, right? And for you, 30-second elevator pitch. But to write 50,000 words yep. that have to go through fact-checking and you need citations, I mean, that's a big deal. And so I came back. And I started to, to write the book and then I had writer's block. I really like, I couldn't write. And my girlfriend, Savan says to me, Doug, you're acting like a college student. And I was like, what? I'm not partying. And she goes, no, but writing, right? you're procrastinating. Yeah, exactly. Cleaning your room instead of doing your paper. Yeah. yeah so, right. so that to me was a trigger. So I literally mapped out a path that I was going to write 500 words every day. And I wasn't going to get up. I wasn't going to go to the bathroom. I wasn't going to eat. I wasn't going to do anything. My phone was going to be off and I would just write 500 words a day. And then I could go do whatever I wanted. Hmm, that's good. Cool. All right. So now the book's out, right? Been published. Now tell everybody part two, right? Because I'm not doing what Sarah's doing. I don't need with that, you know, kombucha tea type like contraption of a, yeah. of a, the mason jar or whatnot. Like how do you bring it to the masses? Well, it's, it's interesting. The classical way is you hire a publicist, you go on the morning shows, you go on doctors and good morning America. And today you have a launch party at ABCV with chef Jean George. And my launch of the book was in the center of like the COVID, like going April 7th, the book launched. ABC shut down all their restaurants for COVID. The morning shows are only doing. So literally I had to come up with another plan of getting it out there. So all of a sudden, you know, social media, right? So I ended up reaching out to Katie Wells at Wellness Mama. And she's got the largest website blog, you know, for, for parents. And so spoke to Katie, she did a podcast with me. So now I'm on the top wellness podcast, wellness mama. I had a friend introduce me to Marianne Williamson and I read some of what she was concerned with and she was concerned with food poverty. And so she did a COVID-19 special on sprouting during COVID for sheltering at home. By the way, and wasn't that much more interesting when Marianne Williams was in the campaign? I mean, I was partial to Mayor Pete, but everything has gotten infinitely less interesting since she's not around in the uh, campaign, right? 
Oh, I, yeah. I mean, she was, you know, look, the woman is all love. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. She's all love. But, it, you know, it took some work and some manifestation to get on her agenda for her to take the time and use her platform, you know, to promote my little book. Right. So let's use the last couple of minutes. So back to how. Is oh, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? What do you mean last couple of minutes? You said I have you all day long. We're not going anywhere, Matt. We got a lot of time. Minutes. I'm starting to sweat. I mean, you're, you're, you're running out. I need some protein from your sprouts. Is there a zero of sprouts on the horizon? That is my, uh, I, I, call look, it. I don't, you know, I, I think that I've been talking to all of the leading sprout companies and the current sprouting tools are the equivalent of a sledgehammer for anesthesia. They're all very provincial. And uh, I believe that in order to make it mainstream, um, it's going to have to get easier and it's going to have to get better. What I'm doing right now on getting the message out there is on social every day, I'm doing an Instagram live. I'm doing a post. I'm going to do content. I'm speaking to like the, the most, like I contacted Joe DeSena from Spartan race, and he's now going to launch a global Spartan sprout day. And he's going to do a Spartan 30 day sprout challenge. And so, you know, post COVID, what, what I'm doing is getting out to all like the, the corner places where people are in the need the most. So, you know, talking to soup kitchens, talking to um, doctors working in clinics, getting the message out there so that people can grow. I would love, you know, to, I, I, I'm reading, I'm reading your facial body language. What, I am, I doing? I'm what am I doing? I'm not, I'm sitting right here. Yeah, no, no. Body language. Just keep I, going. I would love nothing more to, in this lifetime, build a business around growing your own food and then um, raising the quality of nutrition on the planet. Because if you're eating well, um, you're, you'll feel better, you'll live longer, you'll have lower health care um, costs. And so that's what I'm looking at. But, you know, with, with this world going on today, you have to be very strategic to think about things. So my immediate um, mission is every day I'm banging the sprout drum. I just want to tell you, you know, for your listeners. And I love that you're doing this on LinkedIn because this is a very highly educated, um, intelligent, um, you know, base of, of LinkedIn is a, a phenomenal underused, underappreciated platform. I always say like Instagram is your dessert, but LinkedIn, LinkedIn's your vegetables. Like, well, if you have something to say and communicate, this is a, a great platform to do it. And well, I wanted to reach people who were just going through this transition. I have some extra time. I'm home on the third floor. So, you know, it's I've, I've enjoyed doing it. It's been great for me too. Well, I, I want to talk about broccoli sprouts for a second. Of course, naturally. So, so broccoli sprouts contain a molecule called glucoraphanin. And the glucoraphanin um, forms sulforaphane. And sulforaphane had over 1,500 papers in peer-reviewed journals 
about the benefits of sulforaphane. It's the number one treatment, not cure, for autism because it creates heat shock proteins for, you know, within the, within the body. So I'm recommending to everybody um, to consume four ounces of broccoli sprouts a day, which is about 20 cents worth, mm. right? So one of the things that at Juicero, the cost of buying a green juice in the store or buying a Juicero pack was the same money. But if you were to go buy sprouts, they're going to cost you $5 in the store. But if you buy the seeds, it's going to cost you 50 cents. That's interesting. So there's enormous leverage. But the, the, the broccoli sprouts are potent anti-inflammatory. They protect against bacteria, E. coli. Um, they assist in liver detoxification. And the sulforaphane actually crosses the blood-brain barrier and enhances this, the glutathione um, and supports cognitive functions. Literally, like if there ever were a wonder plant, it's broccoli sprouts. And, and all you need to do to grow broccoli sprouts is a glass jar, seeds, and some filtered water. I'll make this commitment to you. We'll wrap up with this. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some broccoli sprouting, you know, while I'm quarantining, and 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 I will give it a shot. I will join Sarah on this campaign to get me to start sprouting. I'll do broccoli. Where do I get the I, seeds? Amazon. Um, like, you, can I... get them on, you can get them on Amazon. You can get them on Sproutman.com. You can get them at True Leaf Market. You're a good merchant. Most important thing is you want to get organic seeds hmm. that are designed for sprouting, which means they're tested for high germination rate and they're tested for pathogens. So organic broccoli seeds um, hmm. for sprouting and you'll be in business within days. All right, Doug, let's plug your book one more time on your website. Do you have a website where people can go um, to learn? The, the Sprout book is my book. Um, I'd say the best source of connecting with me is on um, LinkedIn or on Instagram. And it's just my name, at Doug Evans. And I'm putting out massive amounts of content for sprouting. And I'm answering as many questions as I can. I'm highly, highly committed. And per, you know, what I learned from you, I am direct messaging people that I think could be influenced by it. And people are really engaging back. So it's really extraordinary. And look, the other point I just want to make is that if you have an idea, if you have a vision, go for it. Because it doesn't matter whether it succeeds or not. What matters is that you took the effort and that you went for it. And at some point, I feel like Al Pacino and Scarface, where I'm taking the machine gun fire, you know, to the chest. And like, it really, I mean, what was that thing that your mom used to tell you? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but trolls will never harm me. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what you have to do. Like you can't live in fear. You just have to go for it. And right. and Matt, you're incredible. I love that advice, Doug. You're a sweetheart. Everyone out there, give it a shot. Be open-minded. Doug is uh, nothing but pure heart and good intentions. And so if he says there's something to sprout, there's something to sprout. So I'm going to give it a shot. All right, Doug, I wish you the best. Going to order your Thank book. You, Matt. All right. All right. Okay. Take care, Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. Thank Bye. you.